if you would, take your Bible and open to Matthew chapter 6. And also, kids, those of you that are pre-K through first grade, if you want to head toward Elevate, Miss Courtney is over there. If you have a pre-K through first grader and they've already had a lot of candy and a lot of donuts and you think someone else might have better luck uh, than you, there's a children's church time during the sermon. If this is their first time here at Emmaus to go to Elevate, if you could go with them because that helps our volunteers to be able to put a name with a face and for you to be able to, to make that connection. But so glad you're here with your family. If your kids want to stay with you, they are always welcome to do that. Um, we have the lobby available if you need to step out at some point. It's not going to bother me, but just know they've got an option for pre-K through first graders. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to look at the words of Jesus there in a part of the Bible that's called the Sermon on the Mount. If you're not familiar with the way your Bible is set up, the book of Matthew is the first book in the New Testament portion of the Bible. So about two-thirds of the way through, you get to the New Testament, you get to the book of Matthew, and as a part of our church, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount a little bit at a time. So if it works out and you're with us next week, we're just going to continue through Matthew chapter 6. Next week, we're talking about the idea of anxiety and worry and what it looks like in, in our world to experience anxiety and worry and how we, how we handle those type of things. So we're just taking this a piece at a time. Before we get to Matthew chapter 6 and how that connects to the story of Easter, I want to prepare you for the end of the service as well. So when the sermon is finished, we will sing a song together about focusing our eyes and our lives on Jesus. During that song, if God has been at work in your life in some way, I want you to know that we're going to have people available to pray for you. Down here in both corners, and then if you're up in the stadium seating, on the landing area, on the sides, so you don't have to come all the way to the front, there are going to be people there, men and women, available to pray with you. Please take advantage of this. If you know that God's been at work in your life, maybe you see these baptisms and you think, that's what I need to do. I have been holding back. I know I need to make public my faith in Jesus Christ, what God has done in my life. I know that needs to happen. Or, you know what? It's been a long time since I've been in church. I've really taken things lightly. I need to refocus on the things of the Lord. These people would love to pray with you. If you know you need to respond, but you just can't bring yourself out of your chair to do that, there is that card that's in the seat back in front of you, or if you got one of the bulletins, it also has a tear-out card. Let me encourage you during that final song or sometime during the sermon to fill out that card. Put that card in the offering plate at the end. We want to be able to follow up with you. And then on top of that, I want you to have my email address, direct email address up here on the screen. If God's at work in your life and you need to reach out to someone to pray with you just to provide spiritual direction, you have questions, we want you to be able to access that. Mainly I want you to hear, let's not just hear the story of Easter, read these verses, and then go home and say, that was nice. When we hear God's word and we experience the power of Easter, it requires a response from us. We do something with that. And so I pray this morning you'll be able to respond to God's word. Matthew chapter 6, here's what it says, either in front of you or up on the screen. Verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven 
where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 22, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Let's pray together on this Easter morning. Father, thank you so much for the people who are here this morning. God, I pray for every one of us, myself included, God, that you would guard us from just checking off the religious Easter box this morning. God, guard us from that. Father, I pray that there are people here that it's been a long time, maybe since they've been in church, or they're just not even sure what they believe about you or about the story of Easter. God, I pray that this would be a safe and welcoming place. God, that they would not hear my words, but they would mainly focus on what the Bible, what you were saying to them. God, I pray that I would be able to speak humbly, but also truthfully and lovingly this morning, God, based on your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, to avoid embarrassment, don't raise your hand. No, no hand raising required at this point. But I would be curious to know how many of you are familiar with Marie Kondo, okay? So uh, Marie Kondo, if you're not familiar, has become extremely popular in the last few months. She's been around longer than that, but she has a show that's become popular on Netflix. And Marie Kondo's business model approach is built on this idea of how to organize and declutter your life. It's tidy up, as, as she calls it. And so this is oversimplified. But the way that Marie Kondo's system works is you look at one of your possessions. So maybe you pull a shirt out of your closet and you ask, does this spark joy in my life? And if it doesn't spark joy in your life, you get rid of it. Uh, now you thank the shirt for its time in your life. You show gratitude, but it doesn't spark joy, so, so you get rid of it. Kids, word to the wise. If your mom comes into your room and asks if your toys spark joy in your life, be very careful how you, uh, how you answer that. That could come back, to, uh, come back to haunt you. So I'm not here to say anything about Marie Kondo uh, personally or even about the system because Lord knows we could use um, some decluttering and, and some joy in life. So that's not what this is about. Here's what is interesting, though. The conversations that Marie Kondo has sparked in our culture about possessions and decluttering and joy, these are questions that Jesus addressed quite often. And in fact, they're questions that tie into the Easter story as well. So I want us to see how all this comes together and why the story of Easter matters. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves Treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. Now what is Jesus getting at there? The main idea is that when we think of treasure, we are thinking about our security. So think of like a savings uh, account of sorts. It's, it's our security, it's our identity, our value in life. And so Jesus is saying, be careful about accumulating things of this world, possessions, relationships, reputation. Be careful about accumulating those things and thinking that in those things, you find your security, 
your identity, your value in life. Because the danger is that those things are temporary. He's not saying that possessions are bad, relationships are bad, anything like that. The danger is I find my identity and my security and my joy there because those things are ultimately temporary. And it's not just possessions. Where I find people run into this just from a pastor's perspective is when people go through life transitions. So a kid goes from high school to college and all of a sudden the college kids could care less who they were in high school. Or you start a relationship or you go through a breakup or you have a death in the family or especially, hear me out on this one, especially I run into pastoral counseling a lot related to empty nest and retirement situations. So my identity my value, my security in life was tied up with my kids being at home or my kids' activities, and now they're not there anymore, and things start to feel a little uncertain. Or, more than I realized, my security and my identity in life was tied up with my job, and when I retire, now I'm having to figure out, wait, where is my joy? Where is my identity? And life starts to feel like it's tugging at the seams a little bit. Jesus says, don't accumulate for yourselves things of this world to provide your security and your identity and value. Instead, verse 20, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, the place of perfect security. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves cannot break in and steal. Now, an obvious Bible question is, okay, how do I do that? How do I lay up treasures in heaven? The key is that Jesus is carrying forward what he just talked about in the previous verses. So in Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 18, he's talked about giving, praying, fasting. How do I lay up treasures in heaven? Well, I give more than I try to hoard or hold to myself, so I'm, I'm giving for others. I'm praying, I'm saying, God, you're, you're in control. You have to work instead of me manipulating the situation or manipulating other people. God, I'm gonna pray to you, I'm gonna trust you, and I'm going to fast. I'm not just constantly consuming media. I'm not constantly consuming work. I'm not constantly consuming food. I'm able to take a break. I'm able to step back and say, that's not most important. I need to focus on the things of the Lord. And so it doesn't mean I get rid of all my possessions or I get rid of all my relationships. When you lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, it means you take those possessions and relationships and you make an eternal impact with them. Where I realize, when you get to that point in life that you realize everything I have comes from God, so everything I have is for God. God has given me this possession. God's given me this relationship. God's let me live in this house while the bank owns it. Whatever the case might be, like, I have this, but it's for him. I want to see an eternal impact made. Why does that matter? Because you get to verse 21. And when you get to verse 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's so easy to deceive ourselves and to trick ourselves about where we find our security and our identity, and our value in life. You're like, oh yeah, 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 it's in heaven. Jesus says, okay, well test that. <laughs> Where do I invest my resources, my time, relationships? What is my life focused on? Jim Elliott, who was a uh, well-known missionary in the middle of the 20th century, he said he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So Jesus says, don't lay up for yourselves treasure on the earth, Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. What makes the difference? 
Here's what I want to tell you this morning. Our belief, our understanding of the resurrection of Jesus determines whether we will lay up for ourselves treasures on earth or treasures in heaven. What you believe about Easter will determine where your treasure is. And the reason I say this is because of a couple of verses from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So outside of the Gospels in the New Testament, those first four books of the New Testament, outside of there, the most important chapter in the Bible about Easter and about the resurrection is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In verse 19, Paul says, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. And then he goes on later in that chapter and says, If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. If the resurrection is not true, if this is a story that religious people will make up to make themselves feel better about life, if, if this is all there is, then definitely accumulate all the treasure that you can. Definitely accumulate all the experiences you can because this is the only place for security and identity and value in life, if that's all there is. But if Jesus really did rise from the dead, and if this life is not the end of our story, then we don't want all of our treasure to be here, our treasures in heaven, because this is not the end of the story. Nabil Qureshi has an incredible quote about this. Nabil Qureshi uh, died a couple of years ago, but he was a well-known convert from Islam to Christianity. He's written some incredible books, helpful resources. Here's what Nabil says. He says, without Jesus, we approach life with the expectation of death. With Jesus, we approach death with the expectation of life. And before we move too quickly through an Easter morning, can I beg you to consider which of those is true in your life? And I don't mean to be silly by the word beg. Beg you to understand what the difference between those two are. Do we live this life trying to get the most out of it because here comes death, none of us can escape, or do we realize, yes, death is coming, but this is not the end of the story because I have a greater hope, and my hope is not in myself, not what I would gain or earn or accumulate for myself, my hope is in Jesus, because he has defeated the power of sin that holds us back, separates us from God, and he defeated the power of death. And so my hope is in him. This is not the end of the story. What determines which of those two ways that we live? You actually see it in Matthew chapter 6, verse 22. What's the difference between those two? Matthew chapter 6, verse 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Now you might say, Owen, that is truly the strangest Easter verse I've ever heard. And I would say, you know what, you're, you're probably right. That is kind of a, a strange Easter verse. And it doesn't make a lot of sense if we think of the eye kind of in our modern scientific way of being connected to the brain. In Jesus' time, in his world where he taught and lived, the eye was thought to be connected to the heart primarily. And so, the eye was considered to have great power. Power went out from your eye. Uh, kids, your mom still has this power. Um, she can make you sit down and shut up and do things just with her eyes. Like, it's incredible, the power that comes out, comes out of eyes. So, so there's power that comes out of eyes, but the eye was also thought to be a portal of access to your heart. 
into your life. You know what this means? It means that what I look at, where my life is directed, what comes into my eyes determines who I am and what I'm gonna do and where I'm gonna go. Where my eyes look, what I focus on determines the condition of my life, the condition of my heart. So Jesus says the eyes are the lamp of the body. If the eyes are healthy, if they're good, then the whole body will be full of light. I got out to the egg hunt earlier and this little girl came over and said, uh, Pastor, I think you need to tell the next people that their eyes will be healthy if they eat a bunch of carrots. <laughs> and I was like, okay, sweetheart, I promised to get that in the sermon. Like, uh, I promised her I would get that in. So I don't think that's exactly what Jesus, uh, but I love the fact that she was paying attention. I'm always amazed at what kids catch uh, in the sermon. So she was pretty sure I'd screwed this verse up by not mentioning carrots. Um, what does it mean that the eye is healthy. The way that this word works in the New Testament is it's actually a word for singular focus, that, that, that your eyes and your gaze are set in one direction with contentment um, and, and focus, even this idea of generosity. There's an incredible couple of studies that have come from sports psychology that I think are helpful in this idea. I've waited about 20 minutes into the sermon to get a sports illustration in, so this is pretty good. Um, Separate studies from the University of Vancouver and from the Uni uh, European Journal of Sports Science, they've identified what they call the quiet eye in elite athletes. So they studied these elite athletes from different sports, tennis, basketball, gymnastics, golf, track, different sports. They studied elite athletes, and they found out that with elite athletes, when they are in competition and they are under stress, their eyes literally slow down become quiet and focused. They're able to slow their brains down and their eyes down and focus in a way that the rest of us aren't able to. That is almost exactly what's being talked about here. That when our eyes are healthy, they are focused and intent on what matters most. Because what's the danger? The danger is you have verse 23. And in verse 23, Jesus says, if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if that light that was supposed to be within is actually darkness, how great is the darkness? What this means is if my eyes, my gaze, is constantly set on things of this world, things that are not about the things of the Lord, pretty soon that will begin to take over my decision-making and my speech and my emotions, and it will begin to show up in the way that I live. Also, the unhealthy eye here is considered to be a greedy eye or a jealous eye. So instead of being focused on what's right in front of you, your eyes are always looking for what's next. Your eyes are always thinking about, I need more, so I'm gonna look over here, I'm gonna look over here. Um, I have a bad habit of this in conversation that you're always looking past the person at whatever's gonna come next. That's kind of the idea of an unhealthy eye here instead of being focused. And there's also something really important that ties in. I don't know if you've heard this phrase, good chance that you have. Sometimes we'll talk about a person's life and we'll say that the light has gone out in their eyes. Don't miss the connection here with the darkness within. So we can reach a place because of what we focus on in life that all the joy goes away, all the hope goes away, all the expectation of the future goes away, and you look at that person and it looks like the light has gone out in their eyes. What's the hope though? Where, where do we look when we get in that type of situation? Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus, the author and the perfecter 
of your faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. What's the story of Easter about? Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus on the cross as the one who paid the price for your sin, made possible for you to be made right with God. Look to Jesus on the cross, and then look to the risen Lord. Look to the one who has overcome sin and death. Look to him. That's the hope of Easter. That's what makes the difference about the direction of our life, the condition of our life. You might be tempted to look away from Jesus because of doubts or because of shame in your past. And let's be honest, you might be tempted to look away from Jesus because you just don't care and you wish the guy on stage would stop talking. But I pray this morning that you would hear God's love Hear God's love. Are you buried in guilt and shame? Look to Jesus. Is your life dominated by worry and fear and anxiety? Look to Jesus. Are you searching for joy and hope and peace? Look to Jesus. Are you tripped up by doubts and never feeling like you're going to be worthy enough? Look to Jesus. Maybe the most popular verse, famous verse in the whole Bible, John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Did you know that the way John three sixteen works because of where it shows up in the Bible, that word believe, which admittedly is kind of a very generic, churchy-sounding word, that word believe It's connected to the idea of looking at Jesus, setting your gaze on Jesus as the one who died for you and has rose again. And so what happens is we turn away, we look away from the things of the world. That's the Bible word repent. If you ever hear that word repent, it's turning away from the world, turning away from your past and looking to Jesus. That's the word believe, that you would look to him because he has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. And so Easter, please hear me out here, Easter is not advice for how to live a better life or how to get your junk together. Easter is about what Jesus has done for you and the hope that is available in him when we look to him. And why is this such a big deal? Why why does the guy on stage seem so intense? Or why do my Christian friends worry about this so much? It's because of chapter 6, verse 24. Because in chapter 6, verse 24, here's what we get. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Is it possible to have two employers? Well, sure, most of us have done that. We realize that's just the reality of life that you can have two employers. Is it possible to serve two masters? No, it's not. Something or someone would guide and own our lives. God or money, the things of this world. Why serve God over the things of this world? The things of this world are temporary. God is eternal. The things of this world will never be satisfied. You'll always be looking for more, always be looking for something else. God is already perfectly satisfied. And I realize that the word master could really hit your ears in the wrong way. Um, it's, it's a different type of word for us to think about. But remember, 
that God is good and kind and patient and wise and holy, that he is the father who adopts the orphan, that he's the judge who protects the weak, that he's the king who provides victory for his kingdom. He is worthy of every minute we live. He's worthy of every possession we own. He's worthy of every decision we make. And so we look to him as master and Lord, resisting the temptation to say, well, yeah, yeah, I appreciate God. I, I, you know, Easter's a good thing, but then I just go back to my life. It doesn't work that way. You cannot serve two masters. And he is worthy of everything that you have to give. 1 Corinthians 15, as Paul was wrapping up that chapter, here's what he said. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the hope of Easter. Therefore, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Here's the way those verses in Matthew 6 work. There are two treasures. There are two eyes, and there are two masters. How we decide between those two is the most important thing we will ever do. And so I want to show you a slide on the screen that I'm going to ask you to take very seriously. If you went home this afternoon, if you went home this afternoon, kids, and you ask your parents this question, or parents, you ask your kids, or you call the friend, and you said, hey, fill in these blanks for me, for my life. Fill in, this, fill in these blanks for my life. My treasure is blank. My life is focused on, or my eyes are focused on, fill in the blank. My master is. Now, I know it's tempting. You're like, ah, oh, the answer is Jesus, J-E. What about the people you can't trick? What about if you're not filling in that blank on your own? What's the answer to those questions? My hope, my prayer for you is that the answer is Jesus. Not just because you know that's the right answer, not just because it's Easter, because that is true in your life. What we believe about Easter will determine where our treasure is, where we look, and who we serve. And so in just a minute, I'm gonna pray for us. And when I do pray for us, we're gonna sing a song called Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. I hope as you've seen that song, you can see it as a celebration of what's true in your life. But I want you to know that during that song, there are gonna be people down here at the front in the corner, back here in the landing area at the side who wanna be able to pray for you. If you know that God is calling you to faith, you know you need to be baptized, you know you need to get connected in a church, you have a chance to be able to go and, and pray with those people. If you can't do that, you're like, there's no way I can get out of my seat right now, but I know that I need to talk to somebody about my relationship with God. You have that card in the seat back in front of you, or that card you can turn out of your, tear your bulletin. You also have my email address. It is not unspiritual if during this last song, you start an email and say, Pastor, I've invested a lot of things in this world and I do not know about my relationship with God. I need to talk to someone. This is the most important thing that you could do during this time. Would you bow your head? We're gonna pray together and then you're gonna have a chance to respond. I hope you'll come for prayer during that, that last song. 
God, thank you so much for the celebration of Easter. God, I pray that nothing that I have said will take away from the incredible hope and victory and celebration of Easter to know that because of Jesus' resurrection that we have life. And so we don't check out of this world. We don't disengage from this life. We live more fully because of who he is and what he's done for us. Our possessions, our relationships, our reputation, all that takes on another light because we're not looking to those things for security or joy or identity. We look to you. God, we turn our eyes to Jesus. God, help us to sing this song in celebration. Father, I know there are people here this morning who need to respond in faith. They've never understood the meaning of the story of Easter, God, but it's such good news. They want to trust in you and look to Christ. God, maybe we've been living for the things of this world for a long time. It's been a long time since we've been in church or thought about the things of God. God, I pray this would be time of repentance and commitment. God, people who would come desiring to be baptized, desiring to connect with the church, whatever it is, God, we give ourselves to you. Help us not to waste this time, but to use it as a time of worship and response. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.